Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada. A very snowy Ontario, Canada today with episode number 94 of The Yacking Show. This is a show for awakening you to new perspectives. And we talk about life, business and more. And we try and bring you tips and ideas for the changing world we find ourselves in. If you like our show, please subscribe to the channel, you're, whether you're watching it on YouTube or something else or whatever you're listening to, because the more subscribers, the more exposure we can get for our guests and the more it helps them. And if you're going to be a guest one day, it'll help you too. So as always, we have interesting guests. Today's guest is going to be a real highlight, but it's not my job to introduce our guests. I first must welcome Kathleen and she will do that. Hi, Kathleen. How are you today? I'm well, thank you, Peter. Oh my goodness, it is a very snowy day today. We had over 25 centimeters of snow uh, in the Waterloo region of Ontario near Toronto. So, yep, it's coming down, it's winter. <laughs> well, thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and we enjoy reading your comments. So do please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Asha Wilker Wilkerson. Welcome, Asha. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you so much, both of you, for inviting me to be a guest on your show. I'm, I'm honored. Well, Good. my goodness, you know, we read your bio and... Uh, such an inspiring woman that you are. I, I, in fact, I'm just going to give our audience a little bit of a rundown here and then we'll delve into more. But you are an attorney, you're an mm -hmm. educator, you're a speaker. Um, you've centered on, your, your career has been centered on the human rights with a focus on assisting underserved communities in countries such as Costa Rica, uh, the Netherlands, Haiti, and even Cuba. Uh, you run your own practice called the Wilkerson Law Office. You've been like, I have to read this because it's unbelievable. You've been recognized by Super Lawyers Magazine as a Northern California rising star for six consecutive years. You've been honored by the Annual Bar Association as Attorney of the Year in 2019 and by the Sacramento Chapter of the National Lawyers Guild with a Social Justice Award in 2020. Wow. And that's just skimming the surface. So please, Asha, tell our audience a little bit more about your background and what led you into becoming an attorney and the path that you've currently taken, because our audience loves to connect with the personal story. So go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Every time I hear my bio, I'm like, who, who is that? Who are they talking about? Right. Because you just kind of go through life doing, you know, fulfilling your purpose. And then when you get recognized, it's nice to have that recognition, but I certainly don't do it for the recognition. So every time I hear the rundown, I'm like, wow, you know, who is that? But to answer your question, I got into law. I feel like it was kind of by accident. Um, I did love watching Law and Order, and but I didn't want to be in a attorney that was on Law & Order. I wanted to be the forensic psychologist, Dr. Ah, Wong, that was on Law & Order because I loved figuring out why people did the things that they did. So I went to undergraduate school, studied psychology, and then ended up making a switch to English. And I thought, okay, well, 
you know, maybe, maybe I'm going to go into education. Like my mom, as a kid, I was, you know, playing school with my friends. We'd make lesson plans. Who does that? Right. Adults don't like doing lesson plans. And then here I am as this kid trying to make this lesson plan. And I fully intended to go and be a high school English teacher. And then my job over the summer of my finishing my sophomore year, going into my junior year at the boys and girls club in Portland, Oregon lost funding. So I ended up losing my summer job, but it allowed me to take advantage of this pre-law undergraduate program. So this program was basically, you know, a rundown of what is law school like for uh, undergraduate students. So we had classes by law school professors. We met attorneys. We met judges. We went to nonprofits. We just got this exposure and I enjoyed it enough. I thought, okay, well, I kind of like learning about it. So maybe I'll see what happens. A couple years goes by and I applied to law school and I wasn't quite sure that that's what I wanted to do, but I'm the type of person that says, let me apply and see what happens, right? I'm not going to take myself out of the running. I'm going to have to get that no from someplace else. So I applied, I ended up getting in and I thought, okay, do I want to go and be a teacher? or do I want to go to law school? And I ultimately made the decision to explore law because I felt like it would give me the biggest foundation or the strongest foundation to be able to help people in many different ways. Mm -hmm. So in law school, I really found my passion for human rights. I studied abroad in Costa Rica and worked with the United Nations there, studied abroad in the Netherlands, worked with the United Nations there for the uh, International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, and just okay. really got this exposure, right? And, and wanted to do this really good work. Um, and then graduated, couldn't find a job abroad and ended up going into insurance defense. <laughs> so a little bit of a derail. Uh, and I won't say derail, right? Because everything happens for a reason. But there I learned how to litigate. I learned how to represent clients. We were representing doctors and hospitals. I loved learning about the law. My law firm downsized. I was one of the last people hired. So one of the first people mm -hmm. to be let go. And I ended up starting my own practice again, not on purpose, but because I was out there doing the work, trying to survive. And my friend said, you're already doing it. Why don't you just do it? So I opened <laughs> up an employment law practice. And then now that has more over the years into a law firm that represents and helps entrepreneurs get started. So from forming your business entity, doing your contracts to hiring employees. So that is my long-winded answer of how did I get to where I am today on oh. the legal side of it. Wow, amazing. And uh, we hear this so often um, from our guests and, and other people we know, they start on in one direction and then they end up going in a different direction and and are happier for it as well. So mm -hmm. that, that is interesting. But I've got to ask you then, so I think I know part of the answer from what you just said, but let's hear more. So in addition to the law degree, you then went into an MBA, right? I did. I did. And you couldn't have, well, I always say you couldn't have told me in law school, I was going to get another degree, but that's not actually true. Cause in law school, I was researching PhD programs at the university of San Francisco for international and multicultural education, but you ah. couldn't have told me I was going to go to business school. That part mm -hmm. was a surprise for me. And I ended up going because one, I was running my own business and two, wow. I was helping business owners. And I thought that it would be a good platform for me to learn how to do business better. What mm -hmm. I learned though, is that nothing beats experience. Mm -hmm. So I was mm -hmm. in class with some folks who had worked in business and other folks who uh, were learning about business, but nothing could top my personal experience of having run my own business. That's so that's, that's how I ended up going and getting my MBA. And it's, it's cool, I guess, to have the extra letters behind my name, but I don't know that it really helped propel me to get further along in my career because I was already doing it. I just didn't realize it. 
Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I used the example, having had my own business for many years, that um, you can read all about debt ratios and not incur taking on too much credit. But when right. you get a big customer who can't pay you, you know, all that academic uh, learning doesn't yeah. help. <laughs> right, not at all. <laughs> not at all, especially when you've got to pay the rent and, pay, and meet Absolutely. payroll as well. Anyway, right. uh, back to Kathleen for the moment. Uh, so, Asha, what is it in particular that makes you want to work with entrepreneurs and startup companies? Yeah, absolutely. So somebody asked me uh, last week about how does my social justice background go with entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. right? Because I think especially in the US, um, we really feel like some people really feel like this capitalist structure is really bad, right? And it has some not so positive mm -hmm. aspects. And social justice seems to be the complete opposite of what capitalism is. But I have really been able to bridge my passions together because I think that starting a business is one of the most uh, surefire ways to transform your own life and to transform your family and then ultimately the community around you, right? So for folks who have been historically left out of academia, left out of the corporate world or just aren't comfortable in it, you don't have to get permission to start a business from anybody, right? You can do it yourself and you learn how to do it. And it's completely up to you about whether or not you're going to be successful really as an entrepreneur or not. Now we need resources. We need help. We need guidance. And obviously we're not all starting from the same foundation or starting point, but I think it is that it's an open world, right? People come up with new ideas all the time. People open franchises or have the same idea, but put their spin on it and they're able to be successful. So in order to change your family, you can create the income that you want. When you set up, you know, especially a brick and mortar shop in the community, you can hire local people mm -hmm. from the neighborhood. You can contribute volunteering to after school programs or to kids sports teams or to whatever cause that you want from some of the money that you generated. And of course it has the benefit of having a tax write-off as well, but yeah. just by being able to generate and control your own money, you really get a sense of empowerment and the ability to make a difference for you and for those around you that you want to help as well. Mm -hmm. So that's how I really bridge uh, entrepreneurship and social justice. It's really just about empowering people who want to do it on their own. I've got this legal knowledge. I've got this business knowledge. So let me share, right? It shouldn't mm -hmm. be information that's exclusive to folks. I want to make it available to anyone who wants it. Interesting. Excellent. So just to expand on that a little bit, Asha, so in what capacity would you help, say, a startup company? Do they typically come to you and say, I have this amazing idea. I'd like to get it off the ground. What are my next steps? Yeah, that's a really good question. So what I do is I help people form business entities. So LLCs or corporations mm -hmm. here in the States, right? And I teach them why is it important to have a business entity? How does it protect you? How does it help you grow? And then the next um, thing that I'm more recently really excited about is teaching folks how to use their, their business to create wealth in the future. Because you hear about entrepreneurs all the time that have worked until the day that they've died or you know they've given themselves 100% to the business, but I want us to start thinking about how can the business give back to us? Mm -hmm. So how do we pay our children within the business and it becomes tax deductible up to a certain amount, right? How can you contribute to your own retirement fund? Because every time we go and get a job, we look, okay, well, what's the 401k? What are the right. benefits? Are they matching, right? But we can do that for ourselves as well. So to start thinking about 
business ownership, not just as a sense of freedom, because it can be that too, but as a tool to really generate wealth, to be able to pass down to our kids or our friends, our family members, whoever we want, so that um, the next group that comes behind us has a little bit more cushion in that foundation mm -hmm. than what we had. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Asha, tell us about the Social Justice Award you received in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to running a, a law practice, I also teach full-time at a community college in Sacramento, oh. California. So I run a paralegal program there. And one of my coworkers, uh, who's a public defender in Sacramento County, came to me one day and said, you know what, we, we got to do something about expungement. So in California, mm -hmm. once you have a criminal conviction, if it's a misdemeanor, you are eligible by law to have that misdemeanor taken off of your record, right? right. And then there are certain felonies that are considered wobblers, meaning they could have been charged as a misdemeanor, but for whatever uh, reason they were charged okay. as a felony, those wobblers can be reduced to misdemeanors. So uh, in the program, we trained our students, which gives them practical experience, how to complete the paperwork to assist folks who are eligible by law to either have a reduction in mm -hmm. the charge or have an erasure of that charge. So our students get the training, they get to work with people, they understand how the court system works and can, you know, feel good about learning something in school. But then we're also meeting this very real need in the community of folks who have served the time, paid, you know, whatever fines or mm -hmm. fees, and are now really struggling to get a job because this criminal conviction is on their record. So- right. We created this program just like, just we're like, okay, let's just do one day and see what happens. Got a really big turnout. And then in the following fall, decided to make it a monthly activity that our students would participate in and very quickly became the uh, highest serving organization in Sacramento that was doing these expungements. So wow. I cannot take full credit for it at all. I mean, it was really a joint and, and a team effort um, that was, you know, I just, I'm said, okay, right? Because I could have said no to doing mm -hmm. this, but I said, okay, let's do it. Let's figure out how to do it. And so that's where that social justice award. Ah, came. okay. And of course, just picking up on that, with your work with entrepreneurs and, and people who want to start their own business, mm -hmm. if they have if they have a misdemeanor hanging on over their heads in the background, that makes it more difficult to register a corporation or to get a corporate bank account. So if you can get them, um, get that expungement for them, that's going to help them in that field as well, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's the thing, you know, when, you, when you're when you trying to apply for a job and someone hires you, they're going to run a background check mm -hmm. and people are just going to be deterred by the criminal conviction, but there's nothing that would stop you from starting your own business, right? Sure. Depending on what it is, if you have to get a license, there may be some barriers there sure. and you'd certainly want to look into expungement. But if you wanted to start an auto detailing business, there's nothing, there's no background check when you start no. your business, right? No. And then you then you just have to build it. So that is another way to figure out how to empower people in the community because it is a problem, right? Especially here sure. in the U.S., the recidivism rate is really high. Yep. But once the criminal justice system gets a hold of you, it doesn't let you go. So you've you've served your debt to society, but it follows you around. Mm -hmm. Then we get upset when people don't get jobs. We wonder why they reoffend. But how do you survive if That's you can't right. get a job and change your life, right? Mm -hmm. So. Again, I think that entrepreneurship is definitely an avenue that is worth exploring for folks who are, you know, out of the mainstream system and maybe in another one that they're trying to get out of that one too. Sure. Very good. So I would say you are a shining example of living life on your own terms. What advice would you have for our audience listening right now? 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would say, you know, a couple years ago, maybe more than a couple, probably like 10 years ago, I said, you know, how do, what do I want my life to actually look like? Right. Because as a kid, as a young adult, we're told you, you go to school, you get the corporate job, you know, you do this, you work forever, you have the kids, you know, and then we feel like we're not able to make changes because this is either what we should be doing or now we've made mm -hmm. decisions that we feel like we've has taken our power away to make those changes. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people like dream, what do you want your life to look like? And then plug those activities and those responsibilities in that will help you get there. So if you want a life that allows you to travel the world, which is what I love to do, then don't go to a job that has five days of vacation a year, mm -hmm. you know, and then you're, you're quelching your dream over here of traveling for the sake of this job, right? Find something that fits within, you know, what your dream is and what your goal is, and then be unapologetic about going to get it. And also just being comfortable knowing that at times it could be uncomfortable and being confident knowing that whatever it is that you set yourself out to go get, you will actually go and get it, right? They say, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. I think that's absolutely yeah. true. Absolutely. Bring your whole self to wherever you are, you know, be unapologetic about what you want, forget the conventional wisdom of society and just go live on your own terms. Because at the end of the day, you know, you got to go to bed at night being happy with what you did, not with what somebody else did. Yeah, no, absolutely true. And and as I've learned from my own experience that no matter how safe or cushy that job is, it can disappear overnight, right? right. Um, corporate takeovers, <clears throat> virus, pandemics, you name absolutely. it. Absolutely. Just right. out, of, out of the blue, you can lose all that you thought was secure. So I've got something for you that I, I really want to ask you. And I'm referring to a book, the author whose name I cannot remember. She, she also wrote the book about helicopter parents, and she came in for a lot of flack from, from that. Uh -huh. But her, ne her next book looked at, I think it was the 20 most successful communities in the USA. Mm -hmm. And right near the top, with Nigerians, all right, mm -hmm. and uh, Asians were up there, and mm -hmm. within the, within the states, the one white group that she found were Mormons, right, and mm -hmm. they were more successful than the average of their peers. So I'm giving you a bit of background, but my question to you is: with your work from in disadvantaged communities and overseas in Costa Rica, why is it that that many immigrants come to the USA or Canada or wherever with virtually no resources? And they succeed way better than indigenous people of any race or culture who've been here for three generations. What's, mm -hmm. the, what's the magic secret that causes this? And it's not just me saying it. It's well documented that this is a fact. Right. Absolutely. I think that a lot of it has to do with being able to work in community. Right. So mm -hmm. what happens in a lot of immigrant groups is you still speak the same language. You don't know the system yet. And so you are surrounded by your friends and your family mm -hmm. that are all working towards a common goal. So, and you know, there are tons of Chinese restaurants just to use yeah. that as an example, but family members come and work, you know, get their financial footing and then go and do something else where I think that the United States and maybe just Western culture in general is very, very individualistic. Mm -hmm. And also in capitalist society, you know, it's, it's me against you. It's not me and you, right. right? But if we work together, knowing that we are, you know, selflessly helping each other grow, we're all going to grow. But if I look at you as my competition, I'm trying to prevent you from going, but then I'm also stifling myself because 
I'm unwilling to work with other people. I think there's also, that's, that's one, I think the willingness and the understanding of working in community will get Mm -hmm. us much further than working alone too. I think that, you know, the, the culture in the United States is very oppressive to underserved communities. So black and brown communities in the United States, Mm -hmm. it's built in to the legal history of this, of the foundation of our nation. And when, you know, it's like, if you grow up in a family and the rules that you learn implicitly or explicitly from your grandmother, that you are, you know, not supposed to use that spoon with this kind of soup. You're not supposed to use this kind of glass with that kind of wine. You pick up on it and you learn these limits, right? right? Even if no one tells you that, but you have only seen white wine used in this white wine glass, Mm -hmm. then you just, you internalize it and you don't think that, right? You don't think that there could be anything different. But if you're coming to a new house, if you're coming to a new country, you don't know the rules and the limits that that country Mm -hmm. has for you. And when you believe that you can do anything, you can, regardless of what else society or anybody else says are your limits, right? So I think that once you get comfortable place, you know a place, there is an internalization of what my limits are and how much I can achieve. When you're new to a place, you don't feel that. So I love traveling because it's so great to go to a different country and not know what people have assumed about me, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because it's a different language or if it's a different setup, my mentality changes and I see infinite possibilities when I land in a new country. I think that's the same as it is for folks who are coming to the U.S. or to Canada. Right, right. Interesting. But there's also a mindset, which which may be come out of what you just said. Um, In in my experience, a lot of immigrants have a mindset that, uh, well, we have to work. No one else is going to look after us except for our immediate little community. Mm -hmm. And and very often we'll do the things that the people who've been here for three generations don't want to do, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you. And I think every generation wants their kids not to work as hard as they did. Right. Like I'm, you know, if I have kids one day, I don't want them to have to struggle as much as I did. And, and which is noble, right. That's, that's not a bad thing, but through struggle, you learn determination. So like my mom worked harder to get to where she was than I did to get to where I am because she opened all sorts of doors for my kids. Those doors will already be open. So you don't have that same kind of a struggle. So they're disconnected from the fights, right? Like I'm already a generation removed. My kids will be even further removed from what that is. And it's not because, you know, it's good or bad. It's because we want to make it easier for folks coming behind us, which makes sense. But when sure. you don't see, um, when things have been handed to, when things are a little bit easier, you don't have that same kind of uh, grit, I think, because you're not fighting for this. The stakes aren't as high. You're not fighting right. for the same kind of a thing, right? You've already got food on the table. So why should you have to work you know, as hard as your parents to put the same amount of food or just a little bit more, right? This is enough. Mm-hmm. I think that has mm-hmm. a lot to do with it as well. No, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Kathleen. So from your wide experience of working specifically with entrepreneurs, what is Mm -hmm. one thing that sets the successful apart from the people that may not be quite as successful? Yeah, I would say an unwillingness to give up, right? An unwillingness to give up and a a consistency. So Mm -hmm. in the U.S. or Western culture, I feel like 
there's this idea of this overnight sensation, right? You find mm-hmm. some, some new YouTube star pops up, but we don't talk about the 10 years or 12 years that, that YouTube star put in work before they were, you know, discovered mm-hmm. overnight. Right. Mm-hmm. And also thinking that just in my own journey, I have reiterated what the Wilkerson law office is, you know, a handful of times because I have grown, I have decided what I liked and what I didn't like. I've seen a new opportunity and there's this sense. I realized that sometimes when I would change, I would have this sense of like, Oh, it's failure. I couldn't make this one thing work, but I realized more recently, it's not failure, right? It's adapting and Mm -hmm. reinventing and changing to fit who you are, what the market is, who you want to serve. And sometimes if you're looking at it like failure, that can be very defeating. If you're looking at it like a new opportunity, I think that can be really invigorating and empowering and give you new energy. Yeah, I wasn't that excited about this kind of service offering, but now I'm really excited about this. And let me give that, you know, my full energy and attention and see what happens. So there's no kind of oh, I've made it. There's, you know, we think that there's going to be this sense of I've made it. I don't think there, there's no. always a new arrival, it's, right? Yep. You hit this goal and then you set a next one. And that next goal requires a new version of yourself that's going to bring up other insecurities that you didn't have to deal with at the old version. So it's this constant reinventing, relearning, you know, we don't stay the same. Humans don't stay the same. Your business nope. won't stay the same either. So as an entrepreneur starting out, just know that you are going to go through many iterations mm-hmm. of this version of your business and keep pivoting, keep pivoting and keep trying. Wow. Yeah. What good, good advice. And, and you, you know, this is actually, this is a question that we, we often ask a lot of the, the people that we interview and it's, it's, interesting to see a consistency in the responses, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. perseverance, just don't, mm-hmm. don't give up. Even yeah. at times when you feel like you've been defeated and you want to give up, that's when you continue to push forward. Right. True. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, that's good advice. Thank you. You talk about, you love traveling. So you've said you've been to the Netherlands, Costa Rica, uh, where else? Where's your favorite destination outside of the U.S.? Yes. Uh, one of my favorite places is Cuba. And I always have to give, you know, the, the caveat that I go to Cuba with all of my American privilege, you know, so I'm, I recognize that there are um, a lot of political implications, right? And there's, a, there's a whole history and backstory between sure. the U.S. and Cuba. But I, I love going to Cuba. I love the richness of the music, the culture, mm-hmm. people really friendly. It's still very communal. I feel like it's probably you know, like the U.S. in the 1960s, not just because of the cars and, and things like that, right? Of course, but because yeah. of how people, everybody knows their neighbor. The neighbor's mm-hmm. been there for generations upon generations. You just you just know people, you know everything about people. So I love um, going to relax in Cuba. I had the opportunity to study abroad in Cuba in, in undergrad. So I spent three months there. So mm. a tourist, but also tourist student. So I feel like my perspective yeah. is, is a little bit different. Um, where else? I have been, I counted the other day, I've been to 23 countries so far, wow. and now I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to keep going or where I'm going to go next because I want a new passport stamp. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I just love being in places where I can, you know, rent a house in a neighborhood and be able to get to know the neighbors and understand the culture because there's so much growth that happens um, when you realize that there's more than one way to do something, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. we've been taught how to do life here, but people are happy in other places and they don't 
necessarily work as hard and they have family around and, you know, there's socialized healthcare and it's not all terrible, right? There are all these just opportunities to, to really learn and to grow. So anywhere that affords me that opportunity, I, I love, I'll be, I'll be on a plane and I'll be headed that way. <laughs> oh, lovely stuff. So <clears throat> how can people get hold of you? If, if someone wants to contact you for legal advice, for business advice, for um, they want their criminal record expunged, how do they get hold of you? Yeah, the best way, two ways. Um, on social media, I hang out more on Instagram and my handle mm -hmm. on Instagram is Asha Wilkerson. ESQ, so for Esquire, so Asha okay. Wilderson, ESQ on Instagram. And then my website is probably the next best way, okay. which is thewilkersonlawoffice.com. Okay, no, excellent. We will put those in the description and uh, as a caption under the video here. And I've got to ask you, you can probably hear from my accent that I haven't been in North America all my life, right? Uh -huh. So <laughs> I spent more most of my life in Africa, in fact, before I came to Canada. So uh -huh. have, you have you managed to get to anywhere in Africa yet? I have. I went to Kenya and I went to Tanzania uh, before the world shut down. So I think that was 2019. Okay. Yeah. 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 What part of Africa did you live in? Well, I lived in Rhodesia, as it was called at the time. I went there mm -hmm. as a kid. Then I did 14 years in South Africa, then back uh -huh. to Zimbabwe, as Rhodesia had become. And then things went a little bit bad there. And uh, my eldest son had moved to Canada in 98. He mm -hmm. said, come, come and look at Canada. So I would have liked to come to your country from climate point of view. But right. you know, <laughs> when you've got no money and no contacts and you've got to go right. through the whole green card thing. And I didn't have a friendly lawyer like you to talk to. So I said, <laughs> I just can't do that. You know, and we needed to move in a hurry. So Canada said they'd accept us. So we came here. Okay. Yeah. So, but also I've been to Kenya. Uh, I've mm -hmm. flown over Tanzania. Now you say before the world shut down, but Tanzania didn't shut down and they have one of the lowest um, number of cases of the virus of anywhere in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they said, you know, we haven't got the resources to shut down. We're not going to worry about it. Right. They just got on with life and they seem to have done pretty well out of it. So yeah. that's, in, that's interesting stuff. Yeah. It is interesting. It is. You know, one thing I, I realized too is a lot of people are traveling and, uh, you know, I went to Hawaii. I did go to Hawaii. I went to Hawaii mm -hmm. by myself to a hotel and feel like I was, you know, pretty safe. But I've heard stories where people are saying, you know, yeah, I felt kind of sick, but I decided to go anyway. Or I knew I was sick, but I got on the airplane because I wanted to come home. So I mm -hmm. think that there's this sense, which I understand, right? But I think that there's a sense of social responsibility in other places that really value family and community where mm -hmm. people are looking out for each other. Yep. Whereas, you know, here, North America is very much like, I, well, maybe not Canada, but at least the United States is very much that individual individualistic perspective. I am not going to get sick. I'm not going to be inconvenienced by putting on a mask where it's just, it's just different. The, the responsibility to our community is different mm -hmm. depending on which country and community you're in. Right. Right. Interesting. Oh, well, so you, you have been to Africa. That's good. I uh, have. Did you, yeah. Uh, Ken, Kenya is nice. Uh, did you get into the game reserve just outside Nairobi? I, well, I did do a, uh, a game drive in the Maasai Mara. Um, yes. And then I actually went with a coworker who's Kenyan and he showed me around and showed ah, me where he grew go. up and introduced me to family and friends and stuff. So that was really nice. And then um, it's actually, I was in, in Zanzibar. So off the coast yep. of Tanzania. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. And that was beautiful as well. Yeah. Very good. Back to Kathleen. Well, I think we're out of time, Peter. Well, we, so we are, I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> but 
what a delight it has been to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's been delightful. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And hopefully we'll have you back sometime again. So of course, oh, most definitely. And thank you all so very much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and love reading your comments. So please, again, keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. So until next time, take care. Bye-bye.